You know, I've already read from James, so I, I can't ask you uh, the, the question, but I was thinking <laughs> on this question, what's your least favorite portion of Scripture? <laughs> and by that, I meant the one with the message maybe that you dislike, because I don't know, but I would think that within some of us, James 1 would come up there with that verse on patience, uh, counting it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I mean, it's, it's not one that we run to usually as a comfort, um, and yet it's God's word. And I've been... Josh has actually started me on looking at James. He's been uh, reading it for the last month or two, I think, in his just in his evenings in study, and he's just, oh, it's so good, it's so good, Dad, you know. And you, you love it when your son comes up to you and tells you, "Did you ever know?" <laughs> and he points out a verse you, you you know he thinks you might not have seen before, and uh, it's precious. But I I was going over James, and it was just. It was challenging me, and I thought tonight as we finished up in the the four songs and the message that comes after the songs in Isaiah, we're going to take just a couple of, at least a night, and look at James here at the beginning. I don't think we're going to do James as a book here, but we'll see, but I wanted to look into it, and I wanted to look at it because the attitude that I see here is something that is so different from what we commonly have. And I've tried to ask myself, you know, I want to be biblical first, but I also want to be wise in this world and understanding why do we struggle with this so much? And I think part of it is, is we live in such a dark world that if you're looking at the dark, it appears very dark. There's no light. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, you go in the closet, you shut the door, and there's no light. You turn the light bulb on, and oh, there it is, you know, and you can look up. And I think there's part of that in our society, you know, not that the world hasn't been dark at other times, but we are just, we are inundated with it, maybe at a level we've never had before. Because it comes in on our TVs and it comes in on our radios and we work outside of the home and particularly outside of the family, working at, at jobs that we go to and with unsaved people and we're, we're surrounded by this. You know, even if, you're, even if you're cautious in what you play on the radio, you're surrounded by it a lot. I mean, you can even turn the Christian radio on uh, I, I joke about CBD, and I don't like to say this, but sometimes I think it's the unchristian book distributor. You've got every flavor of book out there that's being advertised, and the ones that are solid biblical exposition is in the minority. And even on our Christian radio stations, we occasionally turn a program on, and I I, I I can't tell you the last one, but there's been several. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I rarely listen to it now because I, you know, I turn it on and I go, ooh, and I, I have to turn it off because my heart cries out against it. Some of it is just worldly wisdom with no spiritual backing at all, and it hurts, and I don't want to listen to it. It's not leading me anywhere. I look at James 
And I think part of this is where your focus is. And I don't want to, this is not like positive thinking where you, you, you only look at the positive things and you try to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. But this is keeping in mind the reality of the fact that we have a God who is real, who cares for us. And as I was thinking about it, I thought of a couple other verses. One is in Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 9. And let me just read those for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, it continues on. All of that's really good. I could do that as a message too, right? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, this is not the world's idea of just looking at the positive, but this is keeping your eyes focused on God. You, you listen to this first thing. It says, be anxious for nothing. Well, that kind of sounds like the world, but then it continues on immediately. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, we're to keep God at the center of our focus. He's the one who, who, who leads us. He's the one who cares for us. When you are right with God, what in this world will truly give you trouble? You know, when I, when I look at the things that cause me the greatest pain, I can tell you right now it's a friend that I don't know if they know the Lord and they have cancer. Just found out. And it hurts. And I, I want to reach out. And they think they're, they're okay with God. But, you know, it just that, that causes me literal physical pain. Yet in my own life, we have had several times when we've had things that have happened, and I know that I'm walking with God, that he is controlling it, that he has allowed this to happen, and there can be a peace even in the midst of the storm. You know the master is there. You know, almost like the disciples, you know he's in the boat with you even. He has not forgotten about you, and he is not, this has not happened by accident. This is allowed. So when we, when we see these sections, it's about keeping our focus on God so that we remember that he is there, who he truly is. It's too easy for us going through this life to get caught up with what's going on around us. You know, especially if you've got the TV and the radio running all day. You know, it just pulls you down. It really does. It gets your eyes off of God. And, you know, the answers that the world gives, global warming, <laughs> right? And uh, we, need a, we need a one world government to get us all together and to fix this thing properly so that, oh boy, when that comes, that'll, that'll end wars, right? Uh, no, it all comes back to the heart of man, doesn't it? And if we look at the end times, it's going to start with wars and rumors of wars, isn't it? The, the idea of a one world government, that, that's not going to cure anything. That's just going to allow sin on a grand scale like we've never seen before. So these verses tell us to keep our eyes on the Lord 
because we want to remember who he is. We want our focus to be on him. We want to set our attentions on things above, not on things below. Um, as we do that, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we look at God and we study God, we become more like God in our character and in our behavior. We are being transformed. Now, Romans 12, 2 tells us also, be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And there it seems to have the emphasis more on the word. And they work together. Focusing on God but you have to focus on him through the truth of who God is through his word. You can't take him without his word. It must be based on the truth of his word. So we focus on God. We're changed into that image. And we kind of know these things. But that's the background that we come to James and particularly this verse from. That's the background. All right? As we come to verse 3, and I could give you, James is probably the half-brother. We believe he's to be the half-brother of Christ. Uh, this was written somewhere between Acts 10 and Acts 15. Uh, there's the, the gospel, probably even before Acts 10, I'm sorry, Acts 7 to Acts 10, because the gospel's not gone to the Gentiles yet. He's writing just to the scattered believers, those that had been in Jerusalem during Pentecost, and then they had heard the gospel and they had gone back home. And so he's writing a general letter to the scattered tribes that are scattered abroad. And he comes to verse 2, and he starts with an attitude that is so different from our world today. You know, if we look at our world, they tell us, you know, you're, you want to be peaceful and prosperous and lazy. And, uh, you know, I mean, just look at your goals when somebody retires. You know, I'm, I'm going to get an RV and I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to pick seashells, right? I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. We're going to go camping. We're going to go fishing. We're going to just take time for ourselves. And that's the goal of where our life goes. Instead of understanding you know, this could have, if this is the half-brother of Christ, who I believe it is, James, he doesn't try to look at, his, at Christ as part of his family. He says the bondservant or the slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he clearly understood his place. There was, there's no retirement when you're a slave. <laughs> you're property. And we've been bought with a price with the very blood of the Son of God, the precious blood of Christ. We are his. And so he comes to the believers, and he says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, different uh, translations translate that. Um, let me see if I can find it again, what it was. I don't see, oh, when you meet or when you encounter. And it's just that I want to point out that this is not always that you are the one at fault, that you fell, as in sin, into this trial. But when you encounter a trial, when you meet a trial, when you've, you, you've, you've come in and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm in it. This is happening. 
And then it says what? It says, count it all joy. Now, we as Christians, I find it kind of funny. (laughs) We look at this verse, and we are so against trials and tribulation that we don't even want to read this verse (laughs) for the most part, right? This is not one of the verses you go to for comfort and to look at. But maybe we should because this life is going to have trials and you're going to meet with tribulations and you're going to have difficulties. And what this verse does is it gives us the attitude that we're to cultivate in our lives as we reach this. And again, this is not some positive thinking where we're just going to, you know, think, well, if I think better of it, it'll be better and I'll make through it somehow. And it's not that. It's about keeping your eyes on the Lord. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall or you encounter various trials. And I think that's a, that's a change right at the start. Because we look at it and we have to understand as we're writing this, James is, is writing to these people because the persecution has started in Jerusalem, right? Stephen has been martyred. Uh, Saul and the Pharisees are, are on the war path. In, you know, they're, they're devouring Christians. Again, the word that was used there in Acts, I don't remember what they translated it as, but it came ravaged. It came from the, the word that of a wild dog eating something, ravaging it. Saul ravaged the church. And so the trials and the persecution are starting, and the Jews are turning against Christ completely. The persecution is ramping up, even outside of Jerusalem. And so when he writes this, he's writing it out of a concern because those trials, they're going to come. And where are they coming? They're not on the outskirts of life. They're at the very center of who a Jew was, right? You know, for, to be a Jew was to meet at the synagogues, to study the law and the prophets, to know the Lord, to be uh, in this family and in this relationship. And when you were put out of the synagogue, you lost your business contacts, with all the rest of the Jews, they would immediately cut you out of all their business dealings. You lost your support network of friends and people you could borrow from or ask for help. You were, you were put out. And as this is starting, and the, those that are following Jesus Christ are being asked, will you count the cost? Will you stand? James writes this letter. And he says, when they start to persecute you, what are you to do? Count it as a joy. Count it all joy. And he doesn't leave us there when, you know, well, why do we count it joy? Um, He gives us this attitude, but he wants us to keep this attitude that this this is a blessing. You know, when you, when you exercise, and I know mo- most of us are beyond that stage where we exercise on a regular basis, but if you go back in your mind to when you were in college or you were in high school and, you know, the first couple of days of football season or basketball season, you remember coming home and you were sore? Maybe it's just me. 
But I remember coming home and being very, very sore, my feet hurting, my arms hurting, my back hurting, everything hurting. And yet as you went along, you rejoiced in the fact that you were getting stronger and that those exercises weren't so hard anymore. Oh, you were still sweaty at the end of every time, but there was a, there was a joy in the fact that you could see yourself growing. And I think there's a part of that that as we look at what God is doing to us or allowing to come to us, that there can be a joy that he is strengthening us. I, I looked at a couple other thoughts. I mean, James knows that there is real problems. Uh, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And in James 4, 6 through 7, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, he's not in some utopia world. He knows there's going to be struggles. He knows Satan is the one, the architect behind this world system that is coming against us. He knows that. But that doesn't change the fact that he says, take joy in it, count it as joy. Um, Because while they come against us, you know, it's James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. That's God. He gives more grace. You will never experience the true depth and power of God until you get to a place where you've lost your strength, until you're beyond what you can do. And this is when you put God to the test and you start to experience and to see him working in your life, giving you the strength you need day by day, giving you wisdom in your words, giving you whatever it is that, he, that you need. So we're to look at it as joy. Um, we're to focus, what does this mean to look at it as joy? Well, I think uh, it's understanding God is at work in us. And there's things we can do along with that. When we have a trial or a temptation, we, we take it to the Lord in prayer. I mean, this is something we should do. And, you know, I can tell you in my life, I know I pray a lot with a lot more heart and a lot more conviction and a lot more time, a lot more labor and effort when I genuinely care about it, when it's painful, when it hurts. That's when you're broken before the Lord and you find yourself calling out even in the the night watches, right? I'm not the only one, right, who has woken up in the middle of the night praying. I mean, you you do. You find yourself calling out on the Lord. So it makes us to focus on the Lord. This is one of the reasons why we can rejoice. Do you realize what a blessing it is when we have a trial and we turn our eyes to God? What would happen if we went through life and everything was easy? Would you keep, yeah, we'd, we'd be tempted to forget the Lord. I mean, we're pretty weak. We're not that different from Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this great city that I have built, unfortunately. And God has to decree from heaven, no, you haven't. These are my blessings. And as I've given them, I can take them away. So it helps us, that's the first reason, it helps us to focus on God. Um, It makes 
the world and its riches and wisdom to be to show what it really is. You know, it's like we walk through this, this dark night and we see all the shadows of these wonderful things. And when the trial comes, the light comes on and all of a sudden we look at some of these things and what do we see in them? They're rotting. You know, the shadow looked pretty good, but when you look at the substance of it, it's rotten to the core. It's awful. It's painful. I mean, you look at what the world is teaching immorality, you know, open sexuality. You can be whatever you want to be. And then you look at the people who have embraced this kind of a lifestyle and they've destroyed themselves. They have literally destroyed themselves following after, you know, their own lusts and their own desires and being captivated by the world. And so when God comes along and we have a trial and he opens our eyes, not only does he help us to focus on God, he shows us the worthlessness of what this world has been offering. All of a sudden we realize how some of these things have kept us away from God, how they've crept into our life, how the time we're spending maybe in our life has been mismanaged. And God uses it to bring us back to him, to show us who he is. It also forces us to choose how we will live. When we have a trial or we have a problem, often I find myself being brought back in front of the Lord and saying, all right, will I trust? Will I obey? Will I follow? Will I, you know, take his word as truth? And you have to decide again. You know, when things are going well, You give lip service to it, but sometimes in your life you're walking away. Or at least you're not walking toward, which is, there's really no, (laughs) you know, if you're not walking toward God, you are walking away. The, the The current of the world will take you away, even if it's not open sin. And so something like this not only focuses our attention on God, not only shows the emptiness of the world, but it brings us back to evaluate our own life and to say, am I right with God? Am I doing what I want to be doing? Is this how I want to live my life? And those are all good things. You know, and it's also, as we said, going to build us up. That's the fourth thing. It's going to build us up. Let's go to Romans um, 5, 3 through 5. Just a couple pages back, Romans 5, and we'll start in verse 1 maybe. And this is, a, this is the parallel passage that goes with James 1, 3, and 4. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, here's the section that matches. It says, and not only that, okay, not only do we have peace with God and rejoicing in him, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. (laughs) Well, I was with them all the way up until that line, (laughs) right? But that got hard. But we glory in tribulation. Now, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And this is exactly what happens as we are 
persecuted, and I think in this particular case, tribulation is a very good term because I think it's persecution. And as we are persecuted for our faith and we take that stand, it does produce perseverance. We, become, we, we set ourselves because the world is so against us, we have to set ourselves. And we say, this is what I choose. I am the Lord's. You know, you think about all these kids in school these days who have to stand and say, no, this is right or this is wrong. I will not, I will not agree with this. This is wrong. This is sinful. And when they take that stand, there is a, there is a foundation being planted that you can build on as you stand on God's word. That's the perseverance. You're taking, you know, your light has, has been shown, you're, you're standing, and it continues on, produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. Character is the characteristic of our lives, you know? As the world is watching us and mocking us and making fun of us, what are you gonna do? Gonna fall into sin? No, at that point in time, you are very cautious and very careful to walk closely with the Lord your God. Your character grows because, you know, I've just given up my classmates, my time, everything. I want God. And so there is a, there is a character that develops, and then with character comes hope. You start to see the power of the Lord at work in your life. You know, many of us never see the power of the Lord because, and I don't mean in, you know, in healing somewhere. I mean the power of the Lord in living the victorious life, in overcoming sin, in witnessing, in seeing our family and our friends saved. We don't see it because we never take the stand for God. We always just kind of drift with the current. And there's nothing there when you're drifting that God can do. He can't bless that. But when you take that stand against persecution and you, you, you know, produces perseverance and character and your hope is in the Lord and you see the Lord starting to work, he starts to open opportunities for you to witness. There's an excitement that grows because of it. And there is an excitement in that hope of God that will grow over time. You know, the... Paul Teasdale used to tell me, I'd call him up and, you know, you know, they're back at it again, Paul. They've got a political movement to kick us out of Sekinani. You know, we've done all these things and we've worked so hard to get the church started here and we built these buildings and, you know, five years of living in the mud and the dirt and we're just starting to see the buildings go forward and here they are wanting to kick us in. He goes, you know, as they start shooting through the same holes, are you finding it hurts less? And you, you thought about it, I said, yeah, it does. It hurts less. That's the same thing they said last time. Same thing they said the time before. And, you know, just before you're leaving, it's the same thing they said. They, you know, it's a blackmail to try to get you to give more money to the community. We're not going to do it. That's not our job. Our job is to preach truth, to stand for truth, to teach the gospel. That's what we're here to do. And it, it hurts less. And you start to get excited about these opportunities and say, well, what is God going to use this for in his glory? 
And as you look around, you have one or two now that are coming afterwards and saying, you know, I I just want you to know I'm on your side. And you have a chance to share with them. You know, have you considered that there is a God? You know, it's not really about what we're doing in the community. Have you considered that there is a God? And there is a hope that we will see some of these coming to know the Lord. And that hope carries you forward. Now, that's just one example. But the more you stand and are willing to go against the grain, against our own natural feelings, the more this character develops, the more this hope in God develops, and you know it. When you've been through some of the hard times and you see someone else going through, what do you say? Our God is able. Don't you? Don't you just find yourself gushing? Our God is able. He can take you through this. Let me tell you, I have been there and he was faithful in my life. He will be faithful in your life. Go to him. Put him to the test. Try him. And there is a hope and a knowledge. I mean, I don't even use the word hope that often, but I think of people that I know with problems in their lives, and I think God's word has the answer. And I know if you would put that answer to the test, God would be faithful. Your life, your family life, everything, it would change. It would change because that's who God is. When you follow along with him, it works because it's based on truth. And he's behind it. So James tells us, count it all joy. We look at those difficult things in our lives and, you know, the temptation is what? Be anxious, right? The the other temptation is to grumble and complain. Blame it on somebody else. You notice what this doesn't talk about. Okay, now this is, I'm going to just tell you what I believe. This doesn't talk about spiritual warfare. It doesn't say you bind Satan. God is the one that's in control. Like with Job, he allowed Satan in to do his will. And so when these things happen, we're not out there wondering, how did Satan get in here? We're not. We're looking at the fact that God allowed this. And It's under his control. We live in a sinful world. There's there's hard things that happen, isn't there? Each one of us have had them. But God allows it, and he allows it to turn us to him and to grow us in him and to give us, you know, an expected end, a good end. You know, David... I don't remember which psalm it was, but he said, you know, I, was, I almost fell. He said, I looked at the prosperity of the wicked. You been there with me? I, I'm, I'm, read, I'm amen and right along with that sometimes, right? I almost fell. I looked at the prosperity of the wicked. Their lives are easy. And even in death, it's peaceful. They go down to the grave in, 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 in splendor. And he says, then I went up to the temple of the Lord to the house of my God, and I understood their end. And God allowed, listen to this, he allowed their blessing so that they would go down to the grave without repenting. 
stop and make you think. It says he made their way slippery so that they would enter hell quickly. They were under the judgment of God. When God is working with us, go to back a couple of pages from James, just to Hebrews 12. This is talking about chastening, and no chastening uh, seems pleasant, but, it, um, but God chastens you with sons, and the one that he loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son that he receives. And start in verse 10 with me. It says, for indeed, 12, Hebrews 12, verse 10. It says, for indeed, for a few days, for they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, what are those next words? For our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a purpose in what God is doing, and it is to bring us closer to him to make us more conformed to his image. I mean, that's what he promised, right, in Romans eight twenty nine. For those that he, prede- he called, he also predestined that they would uh, be the firstborn among many brethren. That's not the verse I was thinking. <laughs> um, is it the next verse after that? Romans 8. I thought it was 29. But, he can, but that we would be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Yeah, it is 29. I, I copied the wrong one. For whom he foreknew, he also, pre, be, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's God's plan for our life. So when we come into these trials and temptations, you know, the, the worldly view is to gripe, moan, complain, to question God, even within the Christian church, you know, I, I, I honestly feel some of this satanic warfare movement is nothing more than us trying to do stuff on our own without God, without allowing God to do the work that he wants to do to make us more in the image of his son. And instead of looking at this and saying, boy, here's the Lord, he's working in my life. And let me ask you, do you want the Lord to be with you? Do you want him to work with you? So does that mean occasionally, do we need to be disciplined? Do we need to be brought back? Oh, yes. We all know that. Every one of us is nodding. (laughs) Because we're still in this flesh. We're in a world, and our eyes get, get taken away. This is why James, I think it's so neat, when he says, count it all joy. Oh, we don't think about that that often. But he's not just giving us some formula, some new age motto that we can, mantra that we can put into practice. He means this. When we come into these hard times, we can stop and we can say, Lord, it hurts, but thank you for making me look up. Thank you for drawing me closer to you. Thank you for caring enough to reach out to me. 
and to draw me back. He continues on in verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, and this is the goal of God. This is a good goal, not a bad goal. You know, if I asked you if you wanted to be a mature Christian, do you want to walk with the Lord? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know the joy of fellowship with him? Boy, everybody's got their hand up. You know, that goes through persecution and troubles and trials, doesn't it? Everybody puts their hand back down. (laughs) But how else are you going to test him? How else are you going to prove him? How else are you going to... Is he going to prune you of those things in your life that take over? He's going to do it by bringing things into your life that are hard and difficult so that you turn and you focus on him and you see the emptiness of what's around you. And this is, again, why James says, let it all be joy, count it as joy. Let it, patience, have its perfect work. Let it go to the end. Don't stop in the middle. You know, Christ would say, no man having set his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And yet how many of us will take a good stand Then, when it gets hard, we're looking for an easy way out. And if God doesn't give it to us, then many will turn and walk back away from him. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. You want to be a mature Christian? This is the valley. This is the the path we have to trot. It's going to have various trials and tribulations and temptations. Because that's what it takes to keep our eyes on the Lord. Now the good news is, the better we do at keeping our eyes on the Lord, the less of these he needs to bring us back. But I I challenge you tonight. I know we look at a, I look at a passage like that, and I don't often like to go there. Because <laughs> it seems like you talk about trials and tribulations, and you, you end up getting trials and tribulations. But you know, it's important for us to realize what they're doing for us. They're not there because God failed. They're there because he ordained them. And he has allowed them so that he will turn us back to himself. He will draw us closer, and we'll be stronger from him. You know, we'll have been exercised, and we'll have developed character, and we'll have had a real experience and hope in him that we didn't have before. And they're not easy, but the fruit that comes out at the other end is blessed. It's blessed. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you this evening. Lord, we just want to say thank you for your word. And while we don't usually look at trials and tribulation and rejoice in them, Lord, we ask tonight, Lord, that even as the world gets darker, Lord, that you'd keep our eyes on you. And Father, that you would give us eyes to see that we would rejoice and we would count it all joy and we would take our cares and our concerns to you. And Father, that our eyes would be so focused on you that the emptiness of this world would be obvious. And Lord, that those that watch us, that they would see 
that, the, that we do not count this world dear. We hold none of it as dear. Lord, that it doesn't hold to our hands. But Father, that it just falls off. That it doesn't stick. Because we desire one thing, and that's to know you. Father, may we seek your face as never before. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.